You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. Well, good to be with you guys this morning. Super excited. Always look forward to gathering with you um, and worshiping Jesus and getting into his word. Uh, Really fun season coming up. I don't know for you in years past if Easter at a church is a good thing, is a thing to celebrate, but it should be, and it is. Um, we're, I'm really excited for how God's going to move and what he wants to do through this. And just to give like a secondary plug to this, like I did last week, I want to challenge you guys, continue to challenge you, to, to take time and really pray for those that you're going to invite. Like pray for your coworkers and family and friends that you want to see here. Pray that their hearts would be softened. And as you do invite them, as you bring them, as they come with you, that God would speak to them and that the soil, so to speak, of their hearts would be soft and it would receive the word and then they would come to know Jesus, right? Like that's why we celebrate. We celebrate Easter because of the, what Jesus did on the cross and how he rose from the dead, but because we share in that now, right? Like we share in the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus, and we have life abundantly and eternal life because of that, amen? There's so much to be thankful for and rejoice in, and because of that, like Mitch just said, we're throwing a party, right? We're having bounce houses and food and fellowship and all kinds of stuff after church so that we can celebrate what God did in community together, so... If you're not excited, you should be. And it may be early, it may be more coffee, but just so you know, it's gonna be amazing. So take a bunch of these and pass them out and uh, really excited for what God wants to do. Uh, Without further ado, um, let's get into the word of God. So if you've been with us, you know that we are in Mark chapter six. We are moving our way systematically through the book of Mark. We're in Mark six. Uh, 44 through 56 today. So if you have a Bible, uh, <clears throat> or you know, 45 through 56, I guess it is, uh, we're in there today, and this is when Jesus walks on water. And so I'll be teaching out of the New Living Translation, and so it'll be up on the PowerPoint screen if you don't have one. If you do have one, you can open there, share with someone next to you, or as always, when you walked in either door, there's Bibles for you. Those Bibles are our New Living Translation, so you can take one, use it for the day, or if you just don't have a Bible, take it home with you, absolutely, or if you just want to have a New Living Translation, take it home as well, because... We want Bibles in your hands that you guys will read. So uh, anyway, here we go. Mark chapter 6, verse 45. Text says this this morning. It says, immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and head across the lake to Bethesda. While he sent the people home. After telling everyone goodbye, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Late that night, the disciples were in their boat in the middle of the lake, and Jesus was alone on land. He saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the wind and waves. About three o'clock in the morning, or the fourth watch, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. He intended to go past them, but when, he saw him, when they saw him walking on the water, they cried out in terror, thinking he was a ghost. They were all terrified when they saw him. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I am here. 
Then he climbed into the boat and the wind stopped. They were totally amazed for they still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves. Their hearts were too hard to take it in. After they had crossed the lake, they landed at uh, Genesaret. They brought the boat to shore and climbed out. The people recognized Jesus at once and they ran throughout the whole area carrying sick people on mats to wherever they heard he was. Wherever he went in villages, cities, or the countryside, they brought the sick out to the marketplaces. They begged him to let the sick touch at least the fringe of his robe and all who touched him were healed. This is God's word. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word and this section of it that you have us in this morning. And Lord, we pray that you would speak to us through it, that you would minister to us, that you would shepherd our hearts, that you would care for us this morning. Now, we, we ask, that as we have been the last several weeks and several months, that we would be a people of great faith, that in the midst of storms, that in the midst of hardships, that in, when we're struggling, that you would give us great faith to trust in you, even if it doesn't make sense and it goes against reason and it goes against logic. We pray that we would be a church and a people that have a grand view of Jesus that we would, we would stop ourselves from trying to be in control of our own lives and that we would allow you to take over. God, that has been our prayer week after week. We pray that we would continue to do it with each of our individual lives, in our marriages, with our kids, with our, with our job, with our finances, with, with our time. We wanna surrender these things to you. We wanna be a people that run hard after you, Father, that are, that are consumed with, with doing things for your glory and your namesake. And so, God, as you look at the story of your disciples on the lake, we ask that you would minister to us, speak to us in ways that we need this morning. Your will be done. Your kingdom come in this place as it is in heaven. <clears throat> Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we pick up right where we left off last week, right? So last week, we saw Jesus miraculously feeding the 5,000 men and their families. So right, like 15 to 20,000 people in one sitting, and Jesus miraculously provides for them. They eat, they're all full, and there's even more leftovers than when they started. And this was like this tangible Miracle that happened right in front of everyone. But we saw is firsthand that Jesus extended deep compassion for humanity. He did that. He provided for them. He, he performed this miracle because it says that he had compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And yes, the miracle was to meet a tangible need. They were hungry. It was dinner time. There was no food around. Everyone ate and they were full. It was awesome. But it expressed a much deeper spiritual need that humanity had for a shepherd. And so this just happens, right? I mean, I mean, there's thousands and thousands of people that have just seen firsthand God do this. And they've all received. I mean, there's, there's, there's a little bit of bread and a little fish in their hands, and then all of a sudden it multiplies in their midst. And our first verse today, right, verse 45, it says, 
immediately after this. It's speaking of what just happened. Right after this miraculous feeding is where our story continues today. And just like last week, you know, feeding the 5,000 is something that um, many of us or if all of us have heard before. Whether or not you grew up in the church or not, it's something that you just hear about, that Jesus did. He miraculously multiplied the food. Today is one of those stories. Christian or not, grew up in the church or not, you've heard about it. This is a thing that Jesus has done, right? It's, it's so unbelievable. He walked on water, right? Uh, doesn't matter who you are. For centuries, uh, people have been in awe of this but also have mocked this, right? Have also um, poked fun and made jokes and movies and all kinds of stuff um, with the fact that Jesus walked on water. But that's what we see today. Right after the miraculous feeding of the, the, the multitudes, we see that Jesus walks on water again on the Sea of Galilee. If you've been with us, you've heard this almost every week because this is where Jesus did about two-thirds of his ministry. About two-thirds of the, the gospel and the ministry, the public ministry of Jesus was done in or around the Galilee region. It's a very significant place. It's a little tiny body of water in northern Israel. This is where this takes place. Uh, this miracle, Jesus walking on water, is recorded in three out of four of the gospels, right? And just to give you some reference, the gospels uh, are like different viewpoints, if you're wondering what they are, or if you're, if you're new to the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books, it's been said that they're like, um, if there was an accident in the intersection right here, right, at YLI and 6th, and if there was cars at each stoplight, four cars at each stoplight, and there was an accident right in the middle, and if the police came and took a statement from each of the four corners, right, of, 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 the, of the street, they would all say what happened, they would all have seen what happened, but each would be from a different viewpoint. There would be different details that are included or excluded depending on your, 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 your point of view and what happened and how much you were paying attention or not or what you wanted to emphasize. The Gospels are the same way. They tell the same story, but certain details are emphasized or kept out or included or excluded, but they're trying to tell a greater picture or, or a deeper picture of what is happening. They're a different viewpoint if that makes sense. So not only do we see Mark's account, right? This is Mark's account of Jesus walking on water, but also in Matthew chapter 14 and John chapter 6, there's also accounts of what happened. Uh, overall, they're pretty similar in nature and in details. If you were going to, you know, put them side by side, they'd be pretty similar, except one glaring difference. Matthew's gospel leaves out the fact or excuse me, is the only one that says that Peter also walked on water towards Jesus for a few moments, right? It's pretty significant the fact that it's left out of Mark's gospel here. Even more interesting is that Mark compiled Peter's journals. So, right, the book of Mark are Peter, the apostle Peter's eyewitness journal accounts of what happened. He compiled them, wrote the book of Mark. Right, so you think like, wait, Peter, if, there, if it's Peter, you think it'd be like a whole chapter. Remember me? I walked on water with Jesus. Remember me? Mark leaves it out. It's not included in Mark's account. I don't know if there's a ton of significance to that, but I will say that I think that every gospel does have a different emphasis on what 
is trying to be told. And the point here in Mark that that he's trying to make or he's trying to get across with the whole book, it's about Jesus, it's not about Peter. It's about Jesus being who he said he was. It's, It's one miracle after another trying to paint this beautiful and wonderful picture that Jesus truly is the son of God. There's different emphasis that Mark put here. But nonetheless, let's check it out. But just to note, in other gospels, um, specifically Matthew's, uh, Peter also walked on water, but he's left out of the story here. So we're going to leave him out for the time being. Um, But pretty awesome. So here's what happens, right? We just read it, just prayed about it. But here's, here's a brief summary of what happens. Jesus, after being done with this miracle of feeding, he goes off to be alone with his father to reconnect, to talk, to pray, to be in communion with God. And this isn't the first time. We actually saw it last week. They were on the way to do this, but they got kind of postponed with the crowds. But over and over, we see this idea of Jesus going off alone, away from people, to reconnect and talk with his Father. And once again, the disciples get on the Sea of Galilee, this time without Jesus, and they get into trouble again. Just a few weeks ago, maybe a couple months ago now, uh, because we're going slow through it. But they were just in the middle of the Galilee. There was a storm, and Jesus calmed the storm, right? We, We saw that not long ago. A storm almost sunk their boat in the same area on the same sea. And this time, the disciples, it says, they're paddling into the wind. They're struggling. It's in the middle of the night, and they're in trouble, and they're fearful. So kind of kind of similar. Similar to the the storm idea. This time Jesus is not with them. He's not sleeping on the boat. They are all alone. They're paddling into the wind in the middle of the night, in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. What's kind of interesting is verse 48 of our text today. It says that Jesus saw that they were in serious trouble. I'll be honest. If Jesus thinks you're in serious trouble, you're in big trouble. Right, like you are in a world of trouble. If Jesus looks at your situation and goes, you are in serious trouble. This is what's happening. I mean, this is like a real crisis. They are struggling in the wind, in the middle of the night, at 3 a.m., and they are not in a good spot. But Jesus, what he does is he sees them. He comes out to get them. This time, right, he's not on the boat. He doesn't take another boat. He's walking on the water, on the tops of the water, on the, when the wind is blowing. Jesus is walking. This is figurative language. This is literally what happened. That's what we believe, that he did that, right? He is God over nature. We already learned that. He is able to do this. He's capable of it. This is not outside of his character. It's actually in line with all that we've seen so, for, so far, it's kind of interesting, though, but Jesus was going to walk by them. Did you notice that? He was going to walk by him, but the disciples saw him, so he's like, I should stop. I mean, did you see that? It's just funny, right? Like, Jesus sees they're in serious trouble. At three in the morning, he came toward them, walking on the water, and he intended to go past them. <laughs> like, leave them be. And there's purpose in that, right? God has there's purpose in that. We'll get to that in a second. But nonetheless... Right, they, The disciples, they're rowing. It's the middle of the night. They see this person walking on the water, and they are, like, freaking out. And they say, this is a ghost. Like, what is happening? And 
obviously, Jesus gets closer. He gets in the boat, and he tells them not to be afraid. Like, it's me. Don't be afraid. And immediately, like, when Jesus gets in the boat and he says that, everything stops and everything is back to normal and everything is okay. Right? You know, like that joke, like, you know, Jesus, is Jesus in your boat or Jesus take the wheel? It's kind of like from here. Like, I want Jesus to take the wheel because when he does, everything works out. When he gets in my boat, so to speak, everything is okay. And we, and we see that, like, in, a, in, a, in the story right now. And, and right as he gets in the boat and everything calms down, there's, like, this, this discussion and crisis of faith and why didn't you believe? And it alludes to that the disciples, even though they had lived and walked and seen everything firsthand, they literally just saw God miraculously provide. They had seen him heal everybody. They had seen him cast out demons. They had seen, you know, him raise the dead. I mean, there is, this is like a firsthand miracle show that they've experienced. But they failed. It says that their hearts are exposed. Uh, excuse me. Their hearts were hardened to faith. Their hearts were hardened to believe that Jesus could help them in this situation. But nonetheless, Jesus gets in the boat. He calms it. Things are good. They get to shore. Crowds come. And as always, everyone that came close to Jesus, everyone that encountered him was healed. And so looking at that, we have to ask, like, what, well, what can we learn from this? Like, what can we get from it? Well, how does it apply to us? How are these truths about who God is in relation to his followers, we being followers of Jesus and him being our God, like how can these things apply to us? When you read this, or at least when I meditated and read and looked over this, the main and the most prominent point, in my opinion, is this idea of fear, right? They were fearing the storm. They were fearing Jesus when they saw him. Fear was causing their hearts not to have faith. I mean, every part of the situation was, was full of fear and not of faith. So the two points I think we can take away from this text today for us, some, some takeaways. Number one, if you're taking notes, I have it on here, is the danger of allowing fear to lead us. This is, so this is get it real because it'll apply to all of us. So the danger that can happen when we allow fear to lead us. Number two, the peace that comes from allowing faith to lead us. And I will say, off the bat, these are in opposition to one another, fear and faith. They were for the disciples, and they are for us. And there's very different outcomes, and there's very different effects when you allow fear to lead your life, and you allow faith to lead your life. When you allow fear to govern you in a certain situation, or faith and trust in God. It is very different how it plays out. The first, danger of allowing fear to lead you. Let's look at that. For the disciples, when trouble came, right? We just, we're, we're reading this story. Came, trouble has come at three in the morning. They panicked. They struggled. They feared. Right, right? When trouble came, middle of the night, they're in a situation. They're all alone. Fear creeps in. They panic. They struggle. And they, and they kind of freak out. But what did they fear? Well, it's kind of obvious, but in their unique and specific situation, it was drowning. Like they feared what would happen if like the boat overturned or if they like didn't get home or like if, 
if they ultimately didn't survive their experience, right? They're fearing drowning, right? Nature was overpowering their ability to control that fate. To remember, these are most of them, half of them are like fishermen all their lives and their dads are fishermen and their grandpas are fishermen. I mean, these are like, these guys have seen a storm or two, but they are fearful of what is happening to them. And you can all testify to this, and I think you, none, no one would uh, disagree with this, that fear is a powerful force. Like fear of safety or the lack of safety will cause a person to do a very many crazy things. Like if you are fearful of your life and the safety of your life or those around you or even a loved one, you get what I mean, it will cause you to go to crazy places. Right, the typical reaction we all know when we're in fear of danger, like if you, a fearful response to any dangerous situation is fight, flight, or freeze. You guys have heard this before because it happens. Right, in a relational conflict, in a disagreement with someone, if you feel like you're in danger or attacked or, you know, in conversation, in an argument, if you respond out of fear, there's only three options. Fight, right? You get defensive and you give it right back. Flight is, I'm done. I'm not talking. I can't even talk with you at all. I'm done. You run away, right? Flight. Or freeze. You just don't do anything. You can't do anything. You're, you're, you're paralyzed. You can't deal with it. You can't talk through the issue, right? The same happens like if you, uh, well, it doesn't really apply to us here, but like see a bear in the woods. It's not really a thing here. But... <clears throat> Say you're in a place with bears and you're in the woods and you're walking along and you see a bear in the woods. What's the options out of fear? I actually don't really know what you're supposed to really do with a bear. I think you're actually supposed to do one of these, but for, for point's sake, you guys get the idea. You're going to either fight, which that's kind of crazy, I don't know, or you're going to flight, you're going to run, or you're just going to freeze. I think you're supposed to freeze, play dead, I'm not sure. Uh, or just have bear spray on you because you're in a forest with bears. But the idea is what I'm saying is that we are triggered when we are fearful. We're triggered, triggered, excuse me, to respond either to fight, flight, or freeze. And fear, if we do respond that way, can cause us really quickly to lose our rationality and our self-control and our ability to make good choices and right choices and wise choices, right? The disciples just were in fear of death and they're like, I'm struggling, I'm out, like this is crazy, I just gotta get out of my situation. Fear, what it also does, like some byproducts of fear, are worry, stress, anxiety. So if you have worry, if you have stress, if you have anxiety, it's probably based in that you are fearful of something. You're fearful that something's not going to work out, or you're fearful that's not going to come through. So what happens that you're fearful is you worry, you stress, you're anxious. Make sense? Fearful, fear is a very powerful source it's a very powerful force that left unchecked and unsubmitted to Christ can result in your life being taken over by it. And what happens is, is that your life is no longer like led by the Lord, but it's actually led by, informed, directed by fear. You're so fearful of something happening that that's going to inform your decisions. That's going to inform the way you do things, the way you don't do things, because you're so fearful of that or this or that. The disciples 
were doing this. Like fear was doing this for them. They were struggling, they were panicking, and they were in serious trouble because of it. And so for us too, like we encounter fearful situations or circumstances, and they probably happen regularly, daily even maybe. Or even harder, we'll go through fearful seasons or times, right? And I think, I think you, can, you, you can quickly, you know, give some examples yourself, but, you know, it could be like a potential or actual loss of a job, right? That would cause financial hardships. Like, that's a very fearful or, or can be a very fearful season or situation. Uh, raising kids can be fearful, like, just like, I just, I'm so afraid of what's going to happen and I'm going to do a good job and if they're going to be okay. And like, fear, you can be really fearful about raising kids. Like, if you're single, you can fear of not getting married. It's a real thing. Like, a real fear. Like, I don't know what's going to happen and it's causing stress and worry and anxiety. It can happen, like, for a lot of you guys in the military. Like, what's next? Where am I going to move? Where are the next orders? Like, how is my life going to be? It's so uncertain. It can cause fear. Right? Or it could be like sickness or a disease or something in your life that's, that, 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 that can cause fear. A lot of things can cause us to fear. And it's not that having the emotion of fear or, or having feelings are bad. Right? God made them and he wants to use them for his glory. But more importantly, it's a matter of what you do with those feelings. Are you allowing what you feel to lead and direct you or are you allowing God to lead you? Right? It's not that you're not supposed to have feelings. It's just a matter of what you do with them. So for me, like a real fear, and you might think this is funny, but also you might think, oh, yeah, that's probably real fear, is like this church, right? God's calling us to start a church, and I'm like, hey, God, is this thing even going to work? Is this even going to go? Is it even going to happen? I don't know. I, I want to trust in you, but there's a real fear that like, you know, you start a church and it doesn't work. That's the thing. That, that's the thing. It's a real thing, and there's a lot attached to that. And so, you know, I'm tr trying to be fruitful, uh, you faithful and do your best, and you pray hard, and you work hard. And, uh, but if not careful, I can easily allow the fear of how this church is going to absolutely rule me and control me and inform my time and my decisions and what I do and don't do, right? I can, if, if I let fear lead and direct me when it comes in relation to this church, which is what I'm called to and this is a job and there's all kinds of things attached. If I let fear direct me and lead me and guide me, I will never not be stressed, right? I will constantly be worrying I will overthink everything. I will be the biggest people pleaser the world has ever seen because, right, I don't want anyone to leave. I don't want anyone to not come. Right? I can, if I let fear lead me, I can easily be offended and crushed if you stop going to church. Good reason or not. Right? Like, like if I let fear lead me, I will lose sleep. Lots of it. You get the picture, right? Like if I am led and I let fear lead me, 
Even if it's like good intentions and I want to do well, like if I let that fear lead me, this is the result of what will happen. And right, this may be obvious to you, uh, but for me, it's like it's a temptation and a real hard one not to give into, to let be led and directed and controlled by fear. And instead, instead of being surrendered and submitted and trust in God. And again, you can, you can relate that to any experience that you may have yourself. But this comes to the next point. The opposite of fear or, or letting fear be, your life be directed by fear is faith. It's being led by faith in God for your life, not because of fear. And so the second point is the peace that comes from allowing faith to lead you. Right, so in our story this morning... Jesus comes on the scene. He actually gets in the boat, and he questions them. He says, why didn't you trust me? Like, why didn't you trust me? I'm here. I'm not far. I mean, I, I, look at all that I've done. Why didn't you trust me? And, right, maybe you've been with us the entirety of Mark, and week after week you've seen God do the most unbelievable things, and maybe you can also say, guys, why didn't you believe that God could do something about your situation?" Right? How could they doubt? How could they not remember what had happened? Right? They had seen miracle after miracle. But even the fact that when they saw Jesus walking, they thought he was a ghost. You know what that tells us? It tells us they didn't even ask Jesus. They didn't pray. They didn't seek God for help. They weren't expecting anyone to come help them. Right? Because they saw this guy coming. They saw help. And they just thought it's a ghost. The disciples in that moment, even his closest followers, weren't praying for God to come. They didn't ask. They weren't expecting to see him. Even in the midst of all that God had done, they allowed fear to grip them and take hold. And they gave in and allowed it to lead them. And they threw faith out the window. And when Jesus gets on the scene, what happens? All is calm. All is well, and things are back in order as if it never happened. I mean, like in a moment, things stop, there's peace, there's calm, things are good, things are right, and all is well again. Now, the point here isn't that Jesus is always going to stop the storm, like we talked about that. But the point is, is that the disciples didn't even ask. They didn't trust. They didn't believe. They were led by their own fear, and they failed to be led by by their faith in God. And that's the significant difference that I think that we should glean from our text today. Right? Because we're going to all go through this. Jesus may or may not stop our storm or stop the winds in an instant, but did we even ask? Did we even cry out? Did we even trust? Did we even believe that he could or not? Right, Because we all will encounter these fearful circumstances. We all probably in this room right now can think of, yeah, this, that is a stressful, anxious situation. I'm, I'm fearful of the outcome. Like all of us can have or will or, or are in these fearful circumstances. But in these circumstances, it may not be like you're drowning in the water like these guys are. But do we look for, ask, and cry out for God? Like, do we, do we ask? Is that our, is that our, uh, is that what we turn to? Right? Do we turn to his promises? 
Like, do we look through God's word? Do we read it and study it? And do we, do we receive his promises? Do we hold on to those promises and truths? Are we asking God by the power of his spirit to help us? Or are we just leading and, and everything we do is out of fear and stress and anxiety and worry? Because look at the difference. Like the difference is, is, is like night and day, black and white here. Like when you trust God and have faith in his power and his control and his ability, it brings peace. Like it brings rest. It brings refreshment. It brings strength. Our story today is a visual representation of the difference, right? These disciples were being exhausted by rowing because of fear. But when Jesus comes in, when Jesus is on the scene, when he, 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 he's there, it brings full peace. I mean, it's chaos versus calm. Fear versus faith is, that, is what we're seeing here today. And that doesn't mean that we won't struggle or lapse or like it won't be really hard to trust God. Like, absolutely. But we've, we've got to not let ourselves be ruled or led or dictated by anything other than faith in God. Feelings cannot lead us. They can't. They shouldn't. Your faith in the Lord should. I mean, you guys, feelings, they're from God. They're good. They get distorted really easy, and they change really quickly. We cannot let them lead us. God wants to use them for his glory. He wants to redeem them. He wants to, don't be an emotionless person. Emotion's okay. It's good. It's right. But I don't know if you've ever seen this little, I don't have it, but I just remembered it right now. There's like this little picture, like when you're a kid in like kids' church, when you learn, there's like a train, and there's two trains, and the engine on one has feelings, and then the second car is faith, and then there's another car that has, the engine has faith, and the other one has feelings, and the, the, the visual point of that is you are not supposed to let your feelings lead your life. You're supposed to let your faith in God lead your life and still have your feelings with it. You guys ever seen that picture? Just me. No problem. Just the, just the faith feeling train. It's all me. It's all right. I'll bring it next week to make sure you know it's real. <laughs> it's a good one though, right? Maybe I have a four-year-old and I just try to teach her things, so maybe it's getting mixed up there. But I'm not saying to stuff your feelings, to not feel, to don't think about it. I'm saying tell all of it to God. What the disciples failed to do, don't do yourself. They weren't talking, they weren't speaking, they weren't asking, they weren't crying out, they weren't even talking to God. They weren't trusting, they weren't believing in him. Don't do that. If anything, like present all that you have inside of you to God. Like present it to him in all its fullness. It's not like he doesn't know you're fearful. It's not like you're trying to pull the wool over his eyes and like, oh, I'm not really that stressed. I'm not really that anxious. Ask your spouse. They'll really tell you the truth. Ask a best friend. They'll really tell you how you, how you feel and how you're coming off. We need to allow Jesus to take all that we are feeling. Take all of that. Take all that fear and stress and anxiety and worry that we have for whatever reason. And to present it to the feet of Jesus so that he can take those things and change us and strengthen us and fill us with faith. Because this doesn't just say, well, don't ever be fearful. That's not what it's saying at all. In When you are fearful, 
bring that fear to the Lord so he can change you and transform you and fill you with faith. For me, by God's grace, I feel like the Lord um, has really helped me and been gracious to me with this church. And he's strengthened me, and, and uh, I feel like I've asked for more faith, and he's given it to me. When it comes to, like, is this thing going to work? Um, with this church, you know, I feel like God's just reminded me that it's, it's not mine, it's his, that I'm supposed to just be faithful, and he's going to do what he's going to do, because it's his church, right? You're his people, and... That will upset some people. I won't be able to please everyone. People will leave. But by faith and trust in Jesus, knowing I'm supposed to do what I'm doing, be faithful to it, it'll bring peace. And it does. It frees me from fear, excuse me. It frees me from anxiety. It frees me from worry. I don't constantly stress and worry and anxious on how this is going because I trust in the Lord. And again, it's something I have to do daily, but nonetheless, I have to do it. I have to come before the Lord and say, God, I'm feeling stressful. I'm feeling anxious. I'm feeling fearful about this thing. And I, and I literally, in my mind, have to think about taking my fear to Jesus and being like, this is, I don't want this. I don't want it to lead me. I need you to. Church, like brothers and sisters, friends, in a very tangible way, I want to challenge you to like take your fear and present it to Jesus today. For, maybe I'm just visual and it helps me, but like during worship, like come to the carpets here and like lay down before Jesus and say, God, I don't want this to lead me. I want you to lead me. Like actually tangibly, like God, like in your head, think, I want to surrender this fear. I want to submit it to you. I want, or maybe it's like you just need to sit in your seat and like tell Jesus everything you're feeling. You're like, well, I already know. It's like, yeah, but tell him. Present it to him so that he can take it from you and that he can restore you and he can lift you up and, and give you faith. Because the truth is, if you're led by fear and worry and anxiety, it's a burden that you're carrying and it's not yours to carry. The way you're living your life, if it's led by fear, is not the way Jesus meant it to be. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30 is just one verse that would say this. Jesus said, come to me, all you are weary and carry heavy burdens, like a life of fear. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart. And you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and my burden I give you is light. I want to exhort you, encourage, challenge you to bring him your fear Worry and anxiety so he can replace it, as the Bible would say, with his perfect love that casts out all fear and peace that surpasses all understanding. So I want to ask that you would make the most of this time right now and come to Jesus with all that you are, with all that you're feeling, and allow him to minister to you. Amen? Amen. God, we admit that uh, this may be hard. 
that it stirs up that uh, fear and worry and anxiety, and there's real things that cause those. It's not easy to talk about and think about and even present to you. But we pray, Lord, that as we spend this little time, these few songs worshiping you, that we would be reminded who you are. That like we'd be flooded with your character and your ability and your care and your love for us. And that as we present to you what we're fearful of and what's making us anxious and stressed out and like we, when we present these things to you, we ask, Lord, that we'd be flooded with your love and grace and mercy and that we would be a people that are not led and directed by fear, but rather by faith and trust and belief that you are God and you are able and you are capable and you're reliable and you're steadfast and we can trust in you. And so God, would you do that in a real way in our hearts? I pray that as we, as we commune with you now, not only as we're worshiping you, but as we pray and as we surrender things, that, that you would bring calm to chaos, just like you did with the disciples. That you would bring peace where there's unrest, where we may be struggling and striving. We pray that there would be rest and refreshment. Thank you, Lord, that you're a God that cares about us. And you don't just want us to stuff things down or just pull, you know, pull our boots up and go for it. That you're a God that, that is in our mess with us and he wants to be with us and care for us in the midst of it. Thank you that you're a loving father that cares deeply about us. We praise you and worship you for who you are and what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.